of the story of Christ. We're reminded of the great story that God, our Creator and Father, is telling. Not only the story of Christ, but in the story of Christ, we are reminded of our story and how Christ has changed the narrative of our lives. When we come to the Gospel of John, we've heard a lot about Jesus. We've heard a lot about Jesus either from John the Apostle, the author of John's Gospel, or John the Baptist, the herald of Christ. We have heard Jesus described in majestic ways as the word who God used to create and speak everything into existence, the word who was with God in the beginning, the word who was God and is God. Jesus Christ is no mere good teacher or good example. He is, in fact, God. Not only majestic, but also sacrificial and merciful. From the lips of John the Baptist, we've heard that this same Jesus, who is God, is the Lamb of God who lays down his life, who was slain for our sins so we could be forgiven and enjoy everlasting life. Not only as the Lamb of God, but as we saw last week, we're introduced to Jesus as the Son of God. So majesty as creator, mercy as Messiah, and now intimacy as God's Son. As it said in verse 34, we hear John the Baptist conclude his message. He said, I have seen and bore witness that this Jesus Christ is in fact the Son of God, Word of God, Lamb of God, Son of God, all pointing our eyes and our gaze towards Jesus Christ. But up until this point, we haven't heard from Jesus himself. Up until this point, it's been a lot of words about him, but no words spoken by him. And that's when we come to this passage. When we come to this passage, we understand that it's been the development of a very important story rooted in real life and real history that we did not create ourselves. That there's a center of the universe and it's not us. That we can't save ourselves by our own good deeds. No, in the same way Christ is God. Christ created everything, sustains everything. He also is the only way to salvation. And he's the son of God that makes us family that reconciles us to the Father. All of this is to say, many of us have had a similar journey, perhaps where we went from understanding Jesus to just being a good example or perhaps even a myth to truly understanding him in his proper place as God. And then when we realize that, we, cry, we fall down on our knees and we say, God, you are holy. I am not. I need grace. And then we need Jesus as the Lamb of God. And then when we, in our baptism, when we make that profession of faith, we are reminded of what God the Father said to Jesus, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. You see, many of us believe in Jesus as the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Word of God. But what does it mean to follow Jesus? You see, a lot of us, we're under the persuasion that Christianity is about believing, being baptized, but then just gathering every once in a while together 
for a worship service and listening to a message. That's a good thing. That's one of the best of things. But you're going to hear Jesus invite you to follow. That you have a purpose. That you have a role to play. That as we follow Jesus, we find our true heart's home. With all the things said about Jesus here in this passage, we hear the very first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and he asks a very, very important, penetrating question, not only to the two would-be disciples in John chapter 1, but to us, friends. What's the first words recorded of Jesus in the Gospel of John? What are you seeking? True or false? We're all seeking something. True, right? True or false? We're all following someone or something. True. It's true. So when you hear Jesus say, come and see, come and follow, it's not that we're adding Jesus to our already busy, hectic lives. Do we get that? No, what it is, is we're saying, all right, we're not going to follow ourselves. We're not going to follow the world. We're, in fact, going to stop following ourselves, stop following the world, start following him. It's not a matter of starting to follow something. No, we already are following and seeking all the time, every day. Your heart doesn't know how to operate unless it's seeking and following. That's why Jesus called a sheep, by the way. When Jesus would call a sheep, of course, it was an endearing term because he's the good shepherd but it also speaks to what? We may be cute, but we always ain't that bright. <laughs> Sometimes sheep follow other sheep right off a cliff. Yes, we are following someone or something. So when you hear Jesus say, what are you seeking? Let it be not only an interesting Bible study. Let it be a penetrating, soul-stirring, life-altering question. I might be sitting in church, but am I seeking Christ? That's why in the Bible, you don't see this idea that you could be a Christ follower, but not want to follow Jesus. That when you come to the New Testament specifically, the word Christian is only used three times. The word disciple is used over 250 times. What does it mean to be a Christ follower, a disciple, an imitator, a student, one who wants to not only follow, but mimic his master. Jesus, in this passage, calls his first disciples, and it began with John the Baptist. Let's look at the passage, shall we? All eyes on the scriptures. John chapter 1, verse 35. This is the word of the Lord. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, verse 36, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Let's take a break right there. John the Baptist has been astounding in his proclamations, has he not? Six times in one chapter, he professes his passion. He conveys his purpose. And what's that? As the forerunner, as the herald of Christ, he knows that his life is not about himself. He knows that his mission, his purpose, his meaning is all about his Messiah. 
So much so that his public message has been, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Astounding insight into Christ. The essence of the Christian message in one sentence. But now we see this is not something John the Baptist just proclaims in public. This is something he shares with his closest friends and followers in private. He sees Jesus walking by, and then he says the same message to two guys privately that he was saying to the multitudes publicly. Guys, listen, behold, behold the Lamb of God. He's it. That's him. Stop following me. Start following him. You understand John the Baptist not only proclaimed a message that was all about Christ, but when Christ actually came on the scene, when Christ was baptized, that was the beginning of his public ministry. Not only that, as we studied last week, that is the beginning of the new creation. That is God's spirit descending on God's son, ushering in new life, new creation, new birth that can only be found in him, in Christ and the new covenant. This is the beginning of this beautiful, redemptive story. So John knows this. And sometimes we can know something, but not do it. Sometimes we can even speak something. We could even have a message about something publicly, but then privately we don't do it. In the end, John the Baptist isn't interested in how many followers he has. If he had a Twitter account, he would want all of his followers to follow Jesus on Twitter. If he was on Facebook, he would want all of his friends to know about his first friend, his first love, his king, his Messiah, Christ Jesus. Don't follow me. Follow him. It's all about him. It's always been about him. So he directs people to follow him. Is this helpful for parents, by the way, friends? Is this helpful for those of us that perhaps have little ones or perhaps our little ones have become bigger ones? That in the end, a day will come where you're going to have to let them go. Those birds are going to fly. And have we so instructed them and let them know that our heartbeat for them is to not follow us, but to follow Jesus, so that when they do go, we would be able to entrust them to Jesus. We would be able to say, all right, my time, even though how many of us know the parenting never stops, my time where you're living under my roof may be coming to an end. I'm going to entrust Jesus to these people. Do we believe, parents, that Jesus Christ loves your kids even more than you do? Then entrust them to him and to his care. John the Baptist had no problem doing it. We shouldn't either. The story continues now, all eyes on Christ. Verse 38, the calling of the first two disciples. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? There's the question, the first words of Christ in Scripture, at least in the Gospel of John. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, I love this, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Who are these disciples? Well, one of them we'll find out is Andrew. The other one, I think, is John. John, the author of the gospel, who never uses his own name, doesn't want to give any glory to himself. He always keeps himself unnamed. But why do I think this is John? Because he mentions the exact time, the 10th hour, which is about 4 p.m., as if to say the author of this gospel, this biography of Christ, remembers the exact moment. 
John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. John the Apostle hones in. He remembers the exact time. Now some of us perhaps were like that. Perhaps we knew when Christ finally caught our gaze, not only our tensions, but our affections. Some of us were brought up in a Christian home. We're not even sure when it happened. But I hope it happens today. I hope that in the same way, John the Apostle knew the exact time that Christ called him to follow him, that even right now, and I'm a little afraid to tell you the time because I don't want you to think about getting out of church, <laughs> right now at 1045, that we would hear him calling us to follow him, calling us to leave behind all of our excuses, all of our doubts, all of our fears, and to go and to follow him. Now, it's very, very interesting. Jesus asked the question, what are you seeking, Right? A lot of us would be like, whoa, I'm getting extra followers. That's good enough for me. You see, what Jesus wanted to do was he wanted to clarify and define the relationship. Many of you remember perhaps when you were dating someone and you kind of had to have the talk. Like, where is this going? What are we doing here? Let's define the relationship. Are we just friends? Is there more here? If there's more here... Is this it? Are we going to be together in a covenant relationship for life together? You got to define the terms. So you see, Jesus is not just asking a philosophical question as far as, all right, what are we seeking? What are we looking for? What are we striving for? That's part of it. He's also trying to clarify, what are you seeking in me? Which kind of Savior do you think I am? What kind of Jesus do you seek right now? So he doesn't necessarily ask for their theological, doctrinal statement and dissertation in that moment, but that question will be penetrating. Why? Because these men will follow Jesus. Yes, as he heals the leper. Yes, as he walks on water. Yes, as he multiplies the bread and the fish. Yes, as he brings people from death to life. But when it comes to the cross, oh, friends, when it comes to the cross, all of these followers that are willing to stay with him, witness his miracles, they all desert him. I mean, John's with his mother Mary at the cross, but during his trial, during his crucifixion, during the darkest day in all of human recorded history, these followers are deserters. These followers are cowards. Because in the end, what kind of Jesus were they seeking? Were they seeking a cultural Christ? Or were they seeking the Christ that came to suffer and to die? You see, when Jesus says, come and follow, he'll also later say, ready? Everybody bracing yourselves? Come and die. He'll say, come and see first. But then he'll say, come and die. Die to yourself. Die to your own plans, your own agenda, Die to your own desires. Pick up your cross. And what, church? Follow me. You see, they probably didn't understand. And there's grace in that. How many of us understood on our wedding day everything that was awaiting us for the rest of our lives? How many of us might not have been standing so confidently on our wedding day if we understood everything the world was going to throw at us for the rest of our lives? No, there's grace in this. But we should know that to follow Jesus comes with a cost. 
You know, at the end of John's gospel, there's a really cool scene. There's a really cool moment where now at the beginning of the gospel, Jesus asks a question, what are you seeking? And then at the end of the gospel, he asks another question to another follower, whom are you seeking? Listen to this. This is after the crucifixion. This is after the disciples desert and deny Jesus and run from Jesus. There's a woman on the Lord's day, the first resurrection Sunday, that's waiting or looking for Jesus. It's none other than Mary Magdalene. Jesus said to Mary, woman, why are you weeping? Mary thinks someone stole Jesus' body. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? You see, Jesus asked that question first and last. Oh, but now her eyes will be opened to just how powerful this Jesus is, who this Jesus always has been. Whom are you seeking, he says to Mary Magdalene. Supposing him to be the gardener, Mary Magdalene says to Jesus, Sir, if you have carried him away, meaning Jesus, tell me where you laid him and I will take him away. Listen, friends. Jesus said to her, Mary. And then what happens? Then she recognizes him. Yes, the garden that Jesus is gardening has nothing to do with the flowers around the tomb. No, what Jesus is doing is he's creating a new creation. In the same way our first father, Adam, failed in the garden, now Jesus is making all things new. Mary, he says, uttering her name. And then all of a sudden she sees who he is. She turns and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means my teacher. Jesus would not only say Mary Magdalene's name, but also would give another would-be follower a new name. Let's look back at the Bible, verse 40. It says here, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Can everyone say Andrew? Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Many of us are familiar with Peter, right? We're familiar with him because his story is so clearly and so repeatedly told in the Gospels. Not many of us know Andrew. Now, what's so neat about Andrew is that there wouldn't be a Peter without an Andrew, right? There wouldn't be a Peter without an Andrew. In fact, Andrew's only mentioned three times in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, John chapter 6, and John chapter 12. Friends, every single time Andrew is mentioned, he's doing one thing. Do you know what he's doing? Bringing people to Jesus. Every time. Thank God for the Andrews in our life. Amen? How many of us know we wouldn't be sitting here today? How many of us know we wouldn't believe in Jesus Christ today? How many of us know that without our Andrews, whoever it may be, maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's, for me, it was my mom. Maybe for you, it's a friend. Without our Andrews, we would not only be saved, the world wouldn't know the Peters. So that's why you might get discouraged in your Christian walk and you might think to yourself, well, gosh, I'm no Peter, right? I'm no Billy Graham. God can't use me. Let us be content to trust God with the results. He calls us just to be faithful because you have no idea, friends, how you discipling 
and having conversations and discipling others is having an impact. For example, many of us have heard of Billy Graham, right? Have you ever heard of Billy Sunday? Before there was a Billy Graham, there's a Billy Sunday, powerful evangelist. Have you ever heard of D.L. Moody? Okay. Before Billy Graham was even born, D.L. Moody was a powerful evangelist, leading hundreds of thousands of people to Jesus Christ. You might have heard of Billy Sunday. You might have heard of D.L. Moody. I don't think you ever heard of Mr. Kimball, Frederick Meyer, or Wilbur Chapman. You see, Mr. Kimball was a Sunday school teacher that reached out to his shoe salesman, a shoe clerk in Boston in 1858, and he led that shoe clerk to the Lord. That shoe clerk turned out to be none other than D.L. Moody. You'll never hear about Mr. Kimball, but because he was a faithful Andrew, the Lord was, the world was blessed through him. But it continues. Watch how this happens. This is awesome. Ready? Everybody excited? Okay, so then we have Mr. Kimball, who uh, introduces Moody to Christ, and then in England in 1879, God used D.L. Moody to awaken the evangelistic zeal of another man we've never heard of, Frederick Meyer. He was a pastor of a small church. We don't recognize his name. There's no books written about him. There's no stories, biographies, but God knows. Frederick Meyer, pastor of a small church, when preaching at an American college campus, he led someone else to the Lord, Wilbur Chapman, and then Wilbur Chapman, who was sharing his faith at a local YMCA, and before YMCA was about the song, it was actually a Christian organization, and another baseball player comes to Christ, and his name is Billy Sunday. Kimball to Moody to Meyer to Chapman to Sunday. Amazing, right? Let's trust God with the results. Now, this might not even move you right now. This might not even move your heart. This might not even move you to serve because in the end, we have to ask, who and what are we following? Many people just stay back and are content to hear what God has done for them, but miss the joy. Friends, do you, do we know the joy of following Jesus? Do we know the joy of using our gifts for Jesus? Friends, do you know, and I'm not kidding, it's better than any ride at Walt Disney World, okay? Do you know the absolute joy of leading someone to Christ? Do we? That's something supernatural that the Lord does. But are we even having the conversations with our friends, with our kids, with our wives, with our husbands, our cousins? Because I'm telling you, you could amount the greatest wealth, success, prestige that the world could offer. There is no greater joy than seeing a sinner, a sinner repent and believe in Jesus. When we follow Jesus, we do what Jesus does. In fact, that's what we're going to see here now, that Philip does the exact same thing that Jesus does. Verse 43, we'll close with this, all eyes on scripture. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, 
We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Pause. I love this next part. <laughs> Verse 46. Nathanael said to him, you almost hear the sarcasm, can anything good come from Nazareth? <clears throat> Philip said to him, come and see. You see what Philip's doing is what his masters did, right? Jesus said, come and see. As a good disciple, Philip's doing the same thing. Do we understand, friends, that the very nature of being a disciple is that you're discipling others? Do not fall into the deception or the lie that you have to be the perfect disciple to start having God conversations with others, to start sharing your faith, and to start discipling others. In fact, if we're waiting to be the perfect disciple before we disciple, we don't understand what it means to be a disciple. This is Andrew's first day on the job. He's already discipling others. What is he doing? He's just doing what he saw his master do. Wait, Jesus said, come and see. Nathaniel, get over here. Come and see. And then I love Nathaniel's reaction. How many of us, when we invite people to church, they don't say, yes, I would love to go. What time? Tell me where. I'm bringing my Bible, and let's worship Jesus together. It's hard, right? How many of us know evangelism, invitations, talking about Jesus in a dark, desperate world ain't easy. That's why I love this. Because even Nathaniel, who would be an apostle, he at first hears where Jesus is from. And he says, Nazareth? And nothing good can come from Nazareth. So if you know your geography of Israel, you'll know that um, Jerusalem was in the southern part of the country. And to be honest, there was a certain culture that said, all right, those from the south, they're a little bit holier than those from Galilee from the north, right? So Nazareth wasn't really the buckle on the Bible belt. Nazareth was kind of more north, a little bit to the east. It was part of Galilee, had a bad reputation. Northeast, not the Bible belt. They were known for their weird accents. You catch where I'm going here? Not only their weird accents, they were known for their rude behavior. Nazareth is not mentioned in the Bible, so when they hear Nazareth, they think low lowlifes. Man, I couldn't help but think, all right, they're from the Northeast. They got an accent. They're known for their bad reputation. Nazareth is Jersey, y'all. <laughs> and we are. How do people describe our wonderful home? As the armpits of the country. This would be like Jesus coming from Jersey. Nobody would ever guess it. So Nathaniel hears Nazareth. Gross. Now, of course, that's talking about the town. In fact, one of the early names for Christianity was the sect of the Nazarene. It was just a disgusting place, apparently. But that also reveals what? Our Savior's humility, that he wasn't born to sit at the top of the pinnacle of power in some place of prominence. No, he was born, or he, not born, but he was raised in a place where people looked down upon it, Okay. Not only that, but in the end, it speaks to even Jesus, right? When we try to share our faith and say, come and see this Jesus, what do people often say? Come on, man, I'm not interested in religion. I'm not, organizing, or, I'm not interested in organized religion. It's a bunch of hypocrites. It's a bunch of laws. It's all fake. It's all been proved to be ridiculous and false. What if... Philip heard Nathaniel say, nothing good can come from Nazareth, and just walked away. 
Nathaniel would have never followed Jesus and never been an apostle. Don't be surprised when you see pushback and people don't get it. They need to be saved. They need to be born again. They need to have their heart changed from the inside out. Many of you know my story. I grew up Catholic. I grew up uh, Irish Catholic. So we were kind of like a nominal Catholic family. We weren't practicing at all. Um, and we would go to church every once in a while. I was getting all my uh, Catholic things done. I was uh, uh, christened. I, was, uh, I had my first communion, first reconciliation. I was on my way to getting confirmed. But in the end, I didn't understand any of it, right? In fact, when I was a young man, my parents got divorced. My whole world got turned upside down. My mom starts going to a Bible-believing, spirit-filled, charismatic church. For those of you that heard me tell the story, you know what's about to come next. Has anyone ever been to a charismatic church? It's like our church plus an aerobics class combined. There's flags, there's people falling down, there's people speaking weird languages. My mom invites me to this church, and I'm thinking, this place is a cult. They had fellowship time with Kool-Aid, and I'm like, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. But my mom gets saved. She was going through a rough patch in her life after the divorce, making bad decisions. She'll tell you this. And thank God for my mommy. My mommy was my Andrew. And what happened was she gets saved and the Holy Spirit starts to work on me. But at first I'm like, come on. This can't be true. I can't find true purpose in Jesus. I can't find true joy in Jesus. You can almost hear Nathaniel say, Nazareth, Jesus, nothing good comes from that. Thank God for his grace to come and to save me when I was not interested in being saved. Thank God for the people that came around my mother and loved her and discipled her and welcomed her so that she could introduce her sons to her Savior. Can that happen? Does that happen? Do we pray that continually happens even here at Coltsnet Community Church? The answer to that is yes. Friends, I'm just going to close in prayer. Who's the one Nathaniel this week? Everybody think of a Nathaniel right now. It might be an actual Nathaniel. <laughs> Who's the one person that the Lord's putting on your heart even now to have that God conversation, to step out in faith and say, all right, I'm going to speak up for Jesus this week. He might not like it. She might not receive it, but I'm going to do it. Who's that one person that God is calling you to step out and witness to and invite to church or to talk about Christ wherever they may be? When you follow Jesus in evangelism, you're not doing it alone. He's with you. He'll give you the words to say, and he'll give you the power to help drive the message home. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Many of us, Lord, we are seeking things that the world offers, and we have forgotten our first love. So I pray and I hope, Lord, that right now that that simple question of Jesus, what are you seeking, would penetrate our hearts and our minds so much so that we would return back to our heart's first home, our first love, and we would seek not our own comfort, not our own glory, not our own will or our agenda, but the glory of the one who loves us, the glory of the one who died for us, the glory of the one who's calling us even now to turn from the world and to return back to the Son and to his word. Friends, he might be calling you this morning to say, come and see, come and follow. 
He might want to give you a new name like he did Peter. Or he might be calling you by name like he did with Mary. Would you answer the call? Would you turn from sin, return to Christ, and let him begin to use you for his eternal glory? Friends, let's rise to our feet and stand together, shall we?